There are two headlines in the life of David. Two headlines, two names that kind of dominate who David was. The first headline, the first name is the name Goliath. Everybody loves Goliath. We talk about him in the very first week. Goliath, you know, it's a story of bravery and courage. A lot happening there. You know, and young David as a shepherd boy, slingshot. And it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are, you just love this story. This is one of those stories that, you, you know, if you remember, you were in Sunday school and they had that story on a flannel graph board. Remember the flannel graph board? And some of you are like, what is that? It was a bit old felt. And then they pulled out a, you know, big old giant. And then they put him on, you know, that was Goliath. And they put him on there. And if you're not careful, if it's not laid on correctly, it kind of flips over, you know. So the teacher kind of put it up there. And then you got little David, you know. And they put him on the felt board, the flannel graph. And I'm surprised, you know, one of these Sundays, we're going to do a flannel graph sermon. It's going to be awesome. And some of you, your mind will be blown by the technology of the 80s. It was great. Okay, and, uh, but that's the first headline. The second story that dominates David's life is the name Bathsheba. Bathsheba. A Bathsheba story is actually quite depressing. You know, it's scandalous. It's a tough story to listen. It's a tough story to follow. And maybe you know the story. Maybe you don't. But here's what I want to do today. And so I want to press the rewind button of David's life and see what was happening in the chapters that led to David's downfall. And we're going to talk about Bathsheba. We're going to talk about this. In fact, we're not going to talk about it today, but we're going to actually kind of talk a bit more about it next week. But we're going to kind of get the story started. But what was the environment that led to David's downfall? That's what I want to talk about because I think it's so important for us to understand. And as we press that rewind button of David's life, it's interesting to note, right, that David was, God's, was a man after God's own heart. And he had a pretty flawless career so far. You know, remember in 1 Samuel, he's anointed king, he follows the Lord, he kills Goliath, he becomes a general in Saul's army, he, he wins in battles. I mean, he, he's, the, he's the man. Everybody loves him. King Saul loves him. And then all of a sudden, King Saul hates him because he's jealous and tries to kill him. And, and David runs away. And uh, David had the opportunity to kill Saul, King Saul, but he didn't. I mean, this guy right here got everything going for him, spiritually speaking. He's on a high level. And then Saul, you know, King Saul dies. David becomes king in chapter 1 and um, 2 Samuel chapter 1 on. And the first 10 chapters, you should see David's life. You know, just victories after victories, just winning. You know, if you were to see the, the title, sometimes, you know, in your, when you're in your Bible, maybe you have it in your Bible, they have those little headings of the chapters, kind of give you a little sneak peek about what you're reading. And, and, and sometimes, you know, you see that, and, and what you see a lot in the first 10 chapters are headlines like David's successes or David's victories. I mean, you see great accomplishment happening in David's life. And that's where David finds himself. He is very successful. And that's the headline of his life, success. And perhaps that's the, that, that's the headline of your life. Maybe your life right now is successful. Maybe you're making good money. 
maybe you have a great house. Maybe you won the neighborhood, you won the neighborhood yard of the month award. Maybe you're the teacher of the year, or maybe you're the employee of the month. Maybe you have a coffee cup that says number one dad or number one mom. Maybe your spouse doesn't nag you that much, and you're kind of proud of that, right? Or, or your kids. Your kids, they're great. You know, they don't spit in public. They don't spit on your face in public, and, and, and they're just great. Everything is going awesome. Right? Isn't that song, everything is awesome, something like that? Everything is awesome in your life, successful. Things are happening in a good place. And that's the season that we find David. David's in a season of success in the first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel. David is bad in 100. He's knocking it out of the park. It's one success after another. He's winning battles after battles. He defeats the Philistines. Awesome. He defeats the Moabites. Great. He recaptures the capital city of Jerusalem and makes that his capital. He, he brings the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments inside of it. He brings it back to Jerusalem. David reinstitutes the worship of God in the temple. David builds himself this huge palace right there in the middle of Jerusalem. Everything is going great. And then something happens in 2 Samuel chapter 10. And oftentimes it's one of those things that we just kind of miss. You know, you read the Bible, you gloss over it, and you just miss it. In 2 Samuel 10, David has one last enemy to defeat, one last enemy to take out. And this enemy was one of the most hated in all of Israel. In fact, throughout history, they've always been a constant thorn in Israel's side. They were a nasty bunch. This was the Ammonites. The Ammonites live in a country called Ammon. I have a little map here. And, and, and where Jerusalem is and where the water is, you know, the big, the big, that's the Mediterranean Sea, right? That's Israel. And then across the Jordan River, right down the middle, you see that little yellow, and uh, maybe you see a fly. Oh, there's that fly, okay? Flew right over the country of Ammon, all right? They were neighbors, all right? And they were not very neighborly neighbors. They did not like each other. In fact, they hated each other. The Ammonites, during King Saul's time, during King Saul, when he was the king, the Ammonites had a bunch of people of Israelites living in their country. And, and, and I don't know what happened, what the story, but the king of the Ammon, the king of the Ammonites, decided to take out or to gouge out every Israelite's right eye. They took them all out. They didn't kill them, but they just took out their eyes. So these guys were nasty. If you're a Michigan fan, think Ohio State. All right? I mean, that, that's what we're talking about. So here we are, chapter 10. King David, he wants to make peace with the neighbors. All right? King Saul didn't agree. You know, they had a bad time with it. So King David's like, you know what? I want to make peace. I don't want to go to war. You know, I want, I want to see if we can settle those things. So they goes over and said, listen, let's sign a peace treaty. Let's stop poking each other in the eyes. You know, let's just get along. Can we just not get along? And so David sends a, 
his secretary of state, his diplomatic team, his ambassadors, and they sent him over to Ammon to talk to the king of the Ammonites. And this is how the king of the Ammonites respond. Look at chapter 10, verse 4. So Hanan, he's the king of the Ammonites. He grabbed David's ambassadors. He shaved off half of each man's beard. He cut off the robes at the buttocks. And that's an actual word in the Bible, okay? And they sent them back to David in shame. By the way, if you think the Bible is boring, you just got to read it. I mean, this stuff is in the Bible right here. Um, the Ammonites, they cut off half of, the ma- of every man's beard that was in that piece. I mean, these are the high-end officials of the kingdom of Israel. They cut off half their beard, and then they took off their robe from the hip down. Uh, and, and, and they laugh, and they, and, and they go back, half naked and half bearded. And they walk back to Jerusalem with their head in shame. I mean, if it was me, I'd find a Walmart and put a pair of pants on. But they didn't have Walmart back then. I mean, you, you kind of stuck with it. All right, here we are. And they walk back, and David, oh, man, David said, okay, you crossed my red line. You don't take a man's pants. That, that is a big no-no. So he gathers up the army and said, we're, we're taking you guys out. We're going to war. I try to be nice. I try to be neighbors, you know, good neighbors, but you don't want it. Now you're dead. And so he gathers the army, and, and, and they're going to fight. And it's David, right? He always wins battles. And so they go to the war, and they're winning this battle against the Ammonites. But something happened by the end of chapter 10. By the end of chapter 10, in the middle of this battle, David and all the troops, they're winning, right? David and his troops go home. They take a time out. They stop. And we're not exactly sure why that happened, but most likely, winter happened. And to understand ancient warfare, you didn't fight in winter. Nobody had a North Face jacket on. They didn't have that. You didn't have prepackaged food. You know, you were wearing your metal armor, and when it got cold, it's cold. And, and you were going to die. The weather would kill you. So they would just pause the battle and say, listen, guys, it, it's too cold. Um, we got to take a break. We're going to go home, sit by the fire. And then when winter's over, we're back here in the battlefield. We're going to finish what we started. And, that, and, that, and that's what happened. And so David, he, he goes back home. Before the battle's finished, winter happened. And, 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 and by the way, here's what we need to understand. Outside of Goliath, this is the biggest battle that David has ever faced. David's been in a lot of battles, a lot of big battles, but this is the biggest battle outside of Goliath that David has ever faced, and he's fighting it. And then winter happens, he goes home, he finds himself in Jerusalem now. Now we look at verse chapter 11. And we'll see what happens. Chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, okay, it warmed up. It's time to get back into the battle business. It's time to take out people. And so David, he's got a battle to finish, right? He's got the Ammonites to take care of. 
He's got to go back. But watch what David does. And it's so small, it's so subtle, and I want you to see this because the same thing can happen to any of us, right? David, he sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. In other words, Joab, you take the army and you go finish the battle. And they destroyed the Ammonite army. They finished the job. They laid siege to the city of Rabbah, which was the capital and the lower part of the country of Ammon. But however, the Bible said that David stayed behind in Jerusalem. He stayed behind. The word stayed behind, if you're taking notes, it literally means to sit. To sit. And this is what David does. David says, hey, Joab, you go fight the battle. I'm going to sit this one out. Now, this is David we're talking about. David has never been known to sit out any battle. If there was a battle going on, you can guarantee that David was there in that battle. And here he is. He's sitting this one out. What happened? If you're taking notes, here's what happened. David became complacent. He got bored. He got bored. Some of you are like, well, how do you know he got bored? Well, look at verse 2. Bible says, late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed. You're telling me, David, you're the leader of this entire nation. You've got the biggest battle going on. And you're taking a nap. Now listen, I'm all for a good nap. I really am. But if there's something that's big, and David's like, this is the biggest thing that's going on since Goliath. Napping will be the last thing I'll be thinking about. But David is taking a nap. What is he doing? I don't know. Might be in the bedroom, scrolling on Instagram, checking it out. Or, or maybe, maybe he's on Amazon trying to find something else for his new palace he just built. Or, or, or maybe he's uh, uh, at Sports Center watching football. You know, catching up on all the highlights. Maybe he's catching up on all his Netflix shows. I don't know what he's doing, but he got complacent. Uh, he got bored. And when you become bored, my friend, you've got to watch out. You have to watch out. Let me ask you, could this be where you're at right now? Could you be in a season of boredom? You know, successful people, this happens to them all the time. Why? Successful people, they get victories after victories. They're winning. Their things are going good, making profit. Things are happening. You know, every week, week in, week out, things are happening in such a good way. And they, feel, they get to a place where they feel like they're at a high, untouchable, invincible. Your ego causes you to feel like that nothing can stop you. You got to watch out. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before fall. And David, David's success is leading him in a very dangerous place of complacency and boredom. And, you, and some of you might be like, God, you don't understand. I am not bored. In fact, I am super busy. I could show you my calendar. I am busy. I am running all the time. You see, if you're taking note, there is, a, there is such a thing where you can be busy, 
and bored at the same time. You can be super, super busy. You can show me the calendar, but at the same time, you can be bored. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You've got kids, and they can be busy at a lot of stuff. They can be busy in their social media. They can be busy on TV. They can be busy with, you know, with, um, with video games. They can be busy, but at the same time, they're bored. They are bored, and that's one reason why you should get your kids involved into something that's bigger than themselves, like a, like a sports club or, 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 or a Boy Scout, Girl Scout, some type of club. In fact, the U.S. Department of Health a few years ago, they released a study that kids that are involved in a sport are 50% less likely to use drugs and 40% less likely to be involved in sexual activity. And that's because they have something that's bigger than themselves. They have something that people are relying on for, and they got all their time and energy going into that other thing. But do you know that even if your child plays sports or they're involved in some club, that eventually, even that can lead to boredom. And here's why, if you're taking notes. If you're busy, but it doesn't line up with the purposes of God, if you're busy, if you're taking notes, but it doesn't align with God's purpose, then eventually your busyness will turn into boredom. You see, you can be busy, but you can be busy in the wrong stuff. But if your busyness doesn't line up with God's purpose, eventually your business will turn into boredom. You see, we think bored is a lack of stimulus. I say that's not true. Being bored is having the wrong stimulus. Again, let me make it personal for us as parents. You know, the best thing we've been able to do to fight boredom in our kids is to get our kids sober in church. My oldest son, Nathan, he's 14, and, um, and he used to be responsible almost every Sunday to sit behind the camera right there, and he has an unseen audience that he can't see, but he knows that he has a job to get this message out to those that can't be here. He makes sure that he zooms in just right that my nose don't get too big on TV. <laughs> Nathan, you're doing a good job, okay? He's, a, he's involved in something that's bigger than himself. When you know that someone's relying on you, it's a bigger purpose and it's an eternal purpose, it can defeat boredom. So the question is, what are you investing in your life that's bigger than you and that has eternal purpose? What is it that you're investing in your life right now that's bigger than you that has eternal purpose? And if you can't think of an answer, then perhaps you're bored. You're bored. And here's the thing that you need to understand. God didn't create you to be bored. We weren't made to be bored. He didn't make you to live a boring life. In fact, if you're taking note, God created you. God designed you for an adventure. For an adventure. That's how he created us. You know, that's why we love movies like Braveheart and The Gladiator. 
right? I mean, we, 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 there's something about those characters, the on an adventure, and they do something inside of us. We, we, we get fired up about it. There's that desire to be on an adventure, to be chasing after a Goliath. You know, to be chasing after a battle that's bigger than us. That's why we love those movies. You see, we all want to have a gladiator moment. We all want to have a brave heart moment. And without something bigger than you, you find yourself, you find yourself bored. See, adventure is how God created you. Now think about David. His whole life has been one adventure after another. It's been always in front of him. He's always had a Goliath in front of him. Every single moment of his life, he's always going after something that's that huge, that God size in his vision. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, at the height of his power, David gets complacent. He gets a little bored. He says, you know, I, I fought enough battles. It's time to chill. It's time to lay back. And the headlines of his life Change so dramatically. The headlines of his life so far is success, success, victory, success. And just like that, from chapter 10 to chapter 11, the headlines change to David's struggles. The David struggles. It's interesting how the headline of your life can go from success to struggle so quickly, can't, does it? Look at verse number two again. Late one afternoon after his rest, he's taking his nap. Bible said they was walking on the roof of the palace. He's just hanging out. He's got nothing to do. He's bored. He's bored out of his mind. The battle going on, the big battle happening. He's just hanging out. Bible said that as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Here's what you need to learn here. When you get bored, you begin to linger and look in places where you should not go. Hmm. That's what led to David's downfall. Got bored. And it began to linger and went to places where he should never go. And that's where we see David finds himself in verse number three. He said, send someone to find out who that lady is and tell them what her name is Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. By the way, Uriah's not home. You know where Uriah is? Uriah is at the battle that where David should be. In fact, Uriah is one of David's mighty men. He's fighting the battle. But David, you know, he called Bathsheba up to his palace and he made the biggest mistake of his life in verse number four, he had an affair. The Bible says that he slept with her, had an affair. See, by the way, when you get bored, doesn't always lead to a sexual sin. Although it does. But many times it can lead to other things. How many times, that, how many times has it led to an abuse of, of a substance? Or perhaps maybe it's led to anger, greed, jealousy, or neglecting your family. Boredom leads to so many different things. Boredom can be lethal. You know, one of the most respected CEOs in the last hundred years, named Andy Groves, he was the president from Intel Corporation. He said, to, he said, success, he said, success breeds complacency. 
and complacency breeds failure. We've got that quote. Can we put that quote up there? There we go. Success breeds complacency. And complacency breeds failure. When you're successful, the gravitational pull, because of your ego, because you think you're on top of the world, that gravitational pull is to get complacent, to get bored. And complacency breeds failure. And this happens all day, every day in the business world. Think about 1990. Remember the 1990? The great company called Blockbusters. Remember Blockbuster? All right. Now, how many of you went to Blockbuster? Raise your hand, okay? Uh, and uh, you go, remember one of the things you were supposed to do? Be kind, please. Be kind. There you go, there you go. You remember. How many of you did not rewind? I, be honest, we're in church now. All right, I Stephanie, wait a go. You know, I, 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 you know, that doesn't surprise me right there. <laughs> you know, so, and, and she, she just raised her hand and said, hey, you know, I confess right here. You know, confession's good for the soul. But, you know, so that's really good, Stephanie. But listen. By the way, thank you. I mean, for those that never rewind, I wasted five minutes of my time rewinding for you when I got the movie. But, um, but Blockbuster, the successful movie, right? In 2000, there was a little company called Netflix showed up. They had this idea. And Blockbuster was like, nah, we've got, we're not interested. We're not interested at all. We're not going to engage in that battle. We're going we're gonna to we've got a, we've got a model, we've got a plan. Technology's working for us. It's not going to change. Well, we all know what happened. Blockbuster took a nap versus chasing after the bigger battle. And they're not existent no more. And Netflix, they're one of the most successful companies in the market today. Success breeds complacency, and complacency breeds failure. If I was going to personalize the statement, you see this on your handout. If I were to personalize it, it's like this. Success breeds complacency. Complacency leads to boredom, and then watch this, boredom leads to sin. It always leads to sin. See, so what battle is in front of you right now? What is in front of you? What Goliath are you chasing after with all your might to keeping you away from boredom? What God-sized purpose are you chasing? Or do you find yourself like David? bored. You're just lingering. You're just looking. Here's what I believe. I believe this with all my heart. If David was fighting the battle that he should have been fighting, he would have never been on the roof looking down on Bathsheba. He would have never been there. If you're taking note, when you stop chasing Goliath, Bathsheba might just catch up to you. When you stop chasing whatever that Goliath is in your life, whatever God wants for your life, Bathsheba just might catch up. Again, if you're taking notes, without a mission, you're ripe for failure. You're setting yourself up for failure. You're just kind of going through the motions. Some of you this morning, you're bored. You might be here. You might be bored with the Bible. Could it be that the reason you're bored is that you're just reading it but not living it? Because when you live it out, man, when you start, start living the Bible, God puts you on the best, on the greatest adventure you've ever been on. 
but you're bored. In fact, you're so bored, you quit reading the Bible. You've got away from it. Some of you are bored with prayer. Could the reason you're bored with prayer is because you don't have anything significant to pray for? Maybe you're bored with church. You know, you can still go to church and still be bored. You can still do your thing, sing, go home, and take a nap, and just act like nothing happened. So the question is, are you a consumer or are you a contributor? Are you involved? Are you on the sideline or are you in the game? Where you at? Because if you're just a consumer, you're eventually going to be bored. Do you have something in front of you that's taken all your effort or do you find yourself like David? Bored. The gravitational pull of boredom always lead to sin. So I'm inviting you to discover a new mission in your life. I'm inviting you to find that Goliath that you need to chase after. That's something that God's eyes to consume. You know what? This is what God has called me to do. This is the biggest battle. And I'm willing to fight that battle with all my might, with all my strength, for the glory of God. Let me wrap up with some takeaways here. To take away on your handouts. Where is God calling me? Where is God calling you? Where is God calling you to use my energy, time, talent, and treasure for his purposes? Can I make a couple of suggestions here before we wrap up? Maybe some of you, God is calling you to follow after him. You've never asked Jesus to come into your life. You've never become a follower of Jesus. You've been coming to church every week. You've been, coming, you know, you've been checking it out, but you've never taken that next step to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Listen, now's the time. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. And when you jump in, he takes you on the greatest adventure of your life. I'm telling you, it's awesome. But you've got to surrender. You've got to give your life to him. You've got to ask him to come into your life. I'll be your Lord. I'll be your Savior. Perhaps, maybe God is calling some of you to take a next step in baptism. Um, November 14th, we're having baptism. Maybe that's your next step. You've been saved. You've asked you to come to your life, but you've never taken that next step. We've, we had a membership class yesterday. We had a, 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 a several people that said, you know what, that's my next step. People that are young to people that are in their 50s and 60s. I baptized an 85-year-old before, an 85-year-old man seven years ago. He got saved in 1957 at the Billy Graham crusade, you know, and he just never took that next step. And so he finally came to our church seven years ago and said, hey, I think I need to get baptized. It's been a while. <laughs> I said, all right, let's do it. It was awesome. It was awesome. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe God's calling you to take that step. Maybe you've been coming for a while, but you're not engaged in the church. You're not involved. You're not serving. You're just a consumer, not a contributor. Maybe you've been nudged to be involved in a ministry. Maybe God is calling you to work with the middle schoolers. And something like, oh, maybe God is, though. Oh, maybe, hey, listen, maybe God is calling you with the two-year-olds. You know, the table twos. But listen, they need you. And maybe that's what God is calling you. And you say, all right, I'll take God to Goliath that are a bunch of two-year-olds in the room. I'll take them on for the glory of God. Maybe 
You've stopped fighting for your marriage. Your marriage has become bored and complacent, which is actually a very dangerous place to be. Maybe you're ready to quit your marriage. Let me ask you, are you, are you really going to throw in the towel and quit? Or is God calling you to re-engage in a battle that's worth everything? Got so much on the line. And it's worth it. You know, one of the things, one of our core values here at our church, you see on our wall, it says live boldly. You know why we got that on there? Because we don't want to be a church that's just going through the motions. I'm not interested in leading a church that's bored. You know what happens when we turn bored? We become about us. Us four and no more. We become a country club church rather than a battleship church that wants to reach people to be involved in a mission that's bigger than us. The mission of lost people that need to know about Jesus. That's what we're all about. That's why we're always pushing to go forward to take big steps. That's why when we had four services for Sujo John, four services, and some of you are like, yeah, we get to do this. Some of you are like, oh, man, are you kidding me? I said, oh, man, because we, can, we get to do this. Because life is short. And eternity is long. And hell is hot. And there are people's lives hanging in the balance of eternity. And we have a mission. We have a mission that's bigger than us. And I want to chase after it with all of our might. So what is it? What is it that you need to chase after? I pray that you chase after that God-sized Goliath, that mission that lines up with God's purposes. You chase after it with all your strength and might. You understand what's at stake. You know what's at stake? If you don't, chase after the Goliath. Bathsheba might just catch up to you. And I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. So my friend, I pray that you will chase after that giant. Don't be bored. Don't be complacent. God, we ask you to help us today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're showing us through the life of David. And God, you continue to show us in the next couple of weeks how David recovered from the biggest mistake in his life. And God, I know that all of us were not perfect. We will fall. But God, I pray that you will help us to keep whatever you have for us in front of us and not get bored with our life, not to, not to get bored with our Christianity. I pray as a church that we won't get bored, but we keep taking bit to live boldly for you, to chase after that giant, that Goliath, to live for you so that we don't linger and fall into sin. And so God, I pray you help us this week in Jesus' name, amen.